think we saw more people just put their foot down and say, like, this is how I feel. Like, you don't live with it. And some people offended customers by doing that. And I think they had to be okay with it. I do see, like, now on Twitter, now on Reddit, there's such a kind of democratization of voices. And I mean, you even saw that happen this week with the whole GameStop thing, right? There's this idea that like people can band together and, and make an impact. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Christine Legorio Chafkin. She's a senior writer at Inc. Magazine. And in this episode, Christine joins me to talk about an article she recently published in Inc. titled, Business Leaders Spoke Up After the Capitol Riot, Will Their Voices Remain Strong? And we talk about the response of the business community to the events of January 6th, and whether, as Christine puts it, these dramatic events cause a real surge in activism among business leaders, or at least stop them from hiding behind a professional curtain of nonpartisanism. We dig into the issue of what the appropriate role of business is or should be in driving societal and political change, and when the stakes are so high, is it possible for businesses to stay on the sidelines? We get into this and much, much more. Before we get to Christine, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Christine, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to talk to you. So, um, we're going. <laughs> you recently wrote an article titled for Inc. Magazine, titled "Business Leaders Spoke Up After the Capitol Riot: Will Their Voices Remain Strong?" So, first question I have for you is: Was that really a strong response by business? Yeah, I I think that it was at first sort of a, a subtle response, and then all of a sudden the the sort of numbers of responses just grew and grew and snowballed so quickly. I just had never seen like this this letter signed by close to two hundred CEOs um, urging Congress to accept the election results and ensure no further delay in the orderly transfer of power. Then all mm-hmm. of a sudden, the business roundtable, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, the National Association of Manufacturers, like. Everyone was speaking up, and it was almost this rush to just show support of our democracy, which is not a crazy idea, of course. Um, no. So, so it was just your numbers. If you looked at Twitter, you just saw everyone, and, and LinkedIn, you saw every business leader just putting their foot down and saying, like, this this is unacceptable. Um, I, I don't think it was overly shocking in that, like I said, like every business wants, um, wants kind of order and and any instability is bad for business right like this it wasn't a political statement at first um it was just a hey like please respect the rule of law um and and i think that you know business did step up in in a way there and i thought that that was sort of meaningful whether it was a hugely political uh choice at first i think is is still kind of up for debate <laughs> yeah well i mean it, it so it seemed like that all sort of came at the last minute that was sort of building to a head and and seemed to me in many cases came sort of even after the fact. Um, yeah. And the, after the fact of January 6th. And um, I don't know, seems sort of opportunistic to me to some degree in that, you know, how much of the business response was shaped by the prospect of, you know, the Democrats winning both the Senate seats in Georgia and and sort of the desire to be in their good graces. Now they're going to be the party in power. 
Yeah. I mean, every time we see the transition of power from party to party, we see, um, and I think Silicon Valley is a really good, good kind of bellwether of this. We've seen it um, every, every transition. And now that Silicon Valley has so much lobbying power to mm. it, money invested. Uh, we've seen that shift already, um, just like we did four years ago. Uh, it, it seemed more subtle then. And now it because of the instability and because of the events of January 6th, like it was very abrupt and we saw it immediately. We saw VCs tweeting um, just very, very much more political than, you know, the the leaders of banks and uh, very big businesses. But they were they were tweeting um, very politically. And I think that they opened up a bit more, right? And they felt a lot more freedom to, if they were already Democrats, uh, speak their mind for sure. Well, yeah. It's so one thing that sort of struck me was, I guess, still sort of how few sort of individual business leaders spoke out. I mean, there's certainly the collective groups and the business groups. So you had that letter signed by CEOs, but it seemed like sort of a a safe thing to do as we came into the beginning of January and the the yeah, past administrations still seem to be doubling down on their their story about uh, the election <laughs> and so on. Um, trying to say it as nicely as possible. Um, it seems I don't. I mean, to me, it's like, geez, how did why did January sixth have to be the bridge too far? Yeah, yeah. You know, if, if what you really value is stability above all things, in the case of business, you know, you want predictable markets and the like that you sell into. Yeah, it seems seemed like almost too little too late, given the impact they could have. Because there's some school of thought, and we'll get into it, that you know, businesses actually should be playing a larger role in societal and political change. Yeah, I, I think that, that that's really interesting and, of course, true. I, I think that, you know, for me as a reporter, I follow what happens on social media um, and what how these, these big social companies work and how the, some of the smaller social companies work as well. And watching, I think, exactly how you say that was, you know – why was January 6th the, the bridge too far? You can say that exact thing for, for Twitter and Trump's account, right? And mm-hmm. for, for how Facebook responded um, to, the, you know, political ads and to misinformation about the election. You know, there were so many times previously when they could have made the right calls there and and failed to. And how did it get to a literal insurrection of the capital, you know, to, for for everyone to say, "Oh, wait, this is too much. We should have done something." <laughs> yeah, it's not like the warning signs weren't there, right? Absolutely, and years. Yeah, and that's why I think, I, yeah, not to be too cynical about it, but not a coincidence that Facebook makes the decision to deplatform President Trump uh, on January sixth. When, oh yeah. Yes, they did. Uh, you know, we just had an armed insurrection at the Capitol, but also two Democratic senators, you know, won this, or two Senate, Democrats won the Senate seats, open Senate seats in Georgia. And suddenly, you know, it was a new sheriff in town for them. Well, certainly. And, you know, they've been sort of waiting for this time at any way to, to say, you know, okay, there's a new administration. Like, how are they going to attempt to regulate us now? And to try to stay in the good graces, right, of, of folks who are more eager to, you know, jump back on looking at Section 230 um, uh-huh. of, of the, you know, of the 1996 Communications Decency Act or looking at antitrust. I mean, we're going to see a lot of talk about antitrust over the next six months. 
Yeah. Well, I think it's coming from both sides now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, Section 230, this this phrase that no one, when I wrote my book about Reddit, had you know even, ever heard of, now mm-hmm. all of a sudden is a rallying cry from both sides. It's fascinating. It's been fascinating to watch. Well, it is, because on one hand, you have the Republicans feeling like they're being censored on these platforms, and on the other hand, the Democrats thinking that it's you know the Wild West and needs to be regulated. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's not strictly along those lines always. There's all these shades of gray in between. But that said, yeah, I mean, it's it, it, something needs to be done and everyone agrees. And now it's just that big question of what is that thing? And how do how do we get there? And, you know, what what can we regulate? Certainly, I think the discussion has gotten a lot more interesting now that more folks are savvy about, about uh, you know, since even since the deplatforming, if we want to call it that. Um, mm-hmm. since I would, I would call it, you know, since the company's upholding their actual values <laughs> and doing of what, <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, but you know, can we, you know, you can, you can say, okay, like hate speech is not allowed on this site, right? Easily. That is fine. That is what they have been doing and should be doing better. Um, but can you say this algorithm you know, that that a company uses needs more scrutiny and needs to be regulated or or needs to be, you know, is it the, the algorithm is the problem. That's what mm-hmm. amplifies all of this, um, this speech. And that's what is causing the problem. I mean, that's really interesting. That's something people have been been talking about more and more, both in the back rooms and and out in, in public. So I'm, I'm curious to see, like, how is is um is an algorithm a piece of of content that someone wrote? Is it, um, what, what is it, you know? Mm. Uh, so that's an that's interesting question. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it something that you could use? Um, is it, is it a copyrighted thing? You know, yeah, uh, kind of. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, that'll be really interesting. Yeah, I was just listening to uh, the Pivot podcast with Scott Galloway and Kara mm-hmm. Swisher and talking about this specific issue about, uh, yeah, it, it's really, it is the algorithm in many respects, at least in, I think it was Scott Galloway was talking about this, that, that serves up the content, right? Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. And they were saying that that at least the statistics he was or data he was showing was or talking about was that uh, in terms of extremism in any dimension is that it's actually a relatively very few number of accounts that are generating the overwhelming majority of, of this content that the algorithms pick up and serve to increasingly large numbers of people. Well, sure, but it's it's not even. I mean, sure, I do I do agree that it's like in the architecture, and that that architecture allowed this kind of outrage to be kindled and amplified. Um, and I think it it comes from all different directions, and it, like including even after after January six, we we would see ads for um, you know body armor being served up against some of the militia groups as these militia groups were the Facebook's attempting to shut them down. Mm-hmm. So it, it, you know, it's like even when they're trying really hard a different part of the algorithm is working against the best efforts, you know? So, <laughs> I, I, Well, yeah. it does raise the question is how hard they actually are working. Well, sure, certainly. I mean, and and, and how how does that get fixed? Um, how do you, can you mandate a company hire more moderator, more moderators or fix their moderation? I don't know. Yeah, I think that's, that's sort of this, this discussion that's going to take place because it, it does sort of, I don't know, put in sort of stark relief, I think, for a lot of people is, is yeah, is, does business have an obligation or what obligation do they have in a situation like this to prioritize or give priority to political concerns as opposed to profits? 
Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, and that's exactly why we're going to see more conversation about antitrust as well. Um, I mean, there's, it's already ongoing. You know, 38 attorneys general have filed lawsuits to break up Google, and 48 states have, um, and the FTC have have brought up lawsuits to slice up Facebook. So we'll see. What do you? What are you? If you had to make odds, what are you? <laughs> what uh, odds are you giving? I don't know. I don't know. Um, that's that's. That's tough. I mean, it's uh, it's it's tough because you see you can see the the Biden administration already working on such a breadth of issues that I do think that the next 180 days is key for this. But I I don't know if it's going to happen that quickly. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I think any sort of antitrust movement. I mean, in the case of you know, IBM and Microsoft and so on, these things take years, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And will we still have the momentum in years? Um, <sighs> Yeah, you'd hope this is not an incident that people forget. <laughs> sure. I right? certainly hope not. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things you wrote about is, is that you, know, you sort of wondered in your article about whether the events of January 6th were enough to cause a, a real surge in activism among business leaders, you called it, or at least stop hiding behind a curtain of nonpartisanism. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that'll be the case? I think that that it's certainly possible. I, I think what we've seen already is we've seen a, a strengthening of, of voices um, ever since the Black Lives Matter movement this last summer. And certain types of businesses are really hitting their stride and finding their voice. And and yet it is it's a small um, section, you know, it's a small segment of of companies that really have a an activist bent already. Well, can you give examples? I Salesforce is obviously one that's near and dear to our audience's heart. Um, sure, sure. Perhaps one of the best examples, I think, actually, of being led by a core set of values from the the top of the company. Yeah, I just wonder yeah. if you had any other examples. Um, well, I was going to say um, that I know of several uh, that you know have worked really hard. To on like get out the vote efforts and made made strict good, great statements about Black Lives Matter, like Warby Parker, but mm-hmm, they sure. are still standing firm in that they are not saying anything, you know, political, quote unquote, and they won't back a candidate. They won't, um, you know. Uh, say anything that is partisan. Um, And that makes sense. They're a big company with stores all in cities all over the country. They don't want to alienate customers. And I, I think that's, it's so interesting because they've, chipped away at it a little bit with with saying, you know, anything that's a human rights issue or anything that's, you know, a social justice issue is game, is fair game for us. But, you know, getting into a, anything that's even more partisan than that, right, that is actually partisan, um, they won't touch. So you see that a lot. Um, we've seen that with, gosh, I've I'm sorry, I'm blanking on which company, but a major fitness brand as well had, had some struggles with that and, and decided, you know, nope, we're going to be nonpartisan here. So I think it was, it, it could have been a, an emboldening moment. And certainly we've seen some voices out of Silicon Valley um, become more political at, after January 6th. But I, I think that the big companies are just going to go right back to saying, keeping kind of their lips zipped and only stepping forward when they really feel like it's an issue of democracy or human rights. Yeah. And I was just going to say that. I think that, that, yeah, how do we... I don't think the issue of, at least me personally, the issue of preserving our democracy is is political right, or exactly. partisan. Right. But it seems to have become so, right? 
Um, and I think that's perhaps one of the roles of, in my mind, for businesses to say, look, as yet, this isn't. Right. I mean, these these, oh, exactly. these and, business organizations that that step forward, I mean, by and large, the Chamber of Commerce, you know, that supports mm-hmm. the Republican Party. That's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course, they're gonna have a political bent. But it was good to see them sort of say, yeah, this isn't a political issue. This is this is, you know, our democracy. And without our democracy, we're not a country. Yeah, absolutely. So along with that, though, I was wondering if if when you're talking about nonpartisanism, whether well, that's ever really existed in business. I mean, certainly the Republican Party has been associated with with business historically. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do find it interesting too, though, that that uh, corporate political giving. I was doing some research in advance. This was about this was has really dropped pretty significantly as a percentage of overall political donations. So it seems like businesses are sort of just this year, or in, in as the a trend, trend has been, yeah, is yeah. that you know greater amounts are coming from small donors, individual donors, and you know the impact of business giving. I found sort of interesting. It's really dropped it's like less than ten percent of total don't corporate pack giving to to campaigns and so on. Huh. Yeah, that is interesting, and I wonder, I wonder how that will trend. I mean, certainly since January six, we saw. Um, you know, even the big banks like J.P. Morgan Chase and and Citibank shutting down their political funding for the near term. We're certainly going to see those numbers have an effect this year. I I wonder how it will look um, in the future, whether that that sort of influence, um, whether companies are just saying, you know, let's Let's stay away from this because it gets them into trouble occasionally, right? I mean, it's it's not a good look when a company gave so much money to to you know a, a president who caused an insurrection, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not a good look. And maybe that do they need to be doing that? I, I think it's interesting. Yeah, I wonder whether that's part of their their calculation. I think it it's this is a topic that sort of flows over into this whole idea of sponsorship as well, and mm-hmm. and cancel culture and blah, 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 is, is, you know, do you see the activism based on your interviews with, with business leaders and so on is taking a form of being more proactive going forward about maybe declining to sponsor, you know, certain programs on certain media outlets that, that are propagating hate speech or, or something like that. I mean, do you see them being proactive or is it just going to be continue to be sort of mill will monitor and then react yeah, you know, I I think it's a mix. I don't know. I don't have a great um, survey, you know, based kind of uh, feel for for that um, right now. Um, it's kind of ongoing. Um, yeah, we've certain certain companies. Uh, it depend. It depends like what kind of personality that company has, what kind of values it has, what um, you know, whether. It's sort of a Main Street brand or an activist brand, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's. I think we've seen like there's there's a couple different things going on, right? Like with the advent of social media and with certain executives um, and and entrepreneurs having their own personalities online, right? They are kind of putting their values out there a little bit more. They are being themselves while they lead a company. Um, mm-hmm. You see that kind of the be your authentic self thing, right? And and this year with the bent of activism that happened and with just the, the sort of extreme stuff always in the air. And I, I think we saw more people just put their foot down and say like, hey, this is how I feel. Like, you know, live with it. And mm-hmm. some people offended customers by doing that. And I think they had to be okay with it. Um, I, I 
do see like now on Twitter, now on Reddit, there's such a kind of democratization of voices. Um, and I mean, you even saw that happen, you know, this week with the whole GameStop thing, right? Um, <laughs> so there, there's this idea that like, you know, people can band together and and make an impact. And um, and it's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be this top-down thing. Um, but, but a lot of companies in at least in the social media space, which I, I study quite often, um, you know, they did, I think the companies like Facebook, Twitter, Apple over the last month have seen those like act, the activism come from the bottom up, come from employees. And well, certainly it's true almost, of Facebook. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they, abs- and they Twitter had their own, too, almost their own so, insurrection. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, we've seen that in the past with Google, right? The employee like walkouts and um, Twitter had a whole memo prepared um, for, from employees for Jack Dorsey before he decided, okay, let's, let's cut down Trump's account here. Um, and I don't think they actually had to deliver it, but, it was ready and they the employees were ready to act um and and they were saying that this is this is wrong that we allow this so um so if 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 a leader is not ready to put their foot down on something like that the employees may force their hand going forward um and i think that's the new reality yeah interesting you brought up gamestop because i yeah i know you'd written a book about about reddit and um this is certainly <laughs> being driven from reddit uh mm-hmm. a particular reddit and and particular i mean it is a form of act it is this is a form of activism yeah it, it is in a sense and and even it's it doesn't mean it matter if it came from a silly place or not it still is activism right i mean mm-hmm. um and a, a lot of it you know the conversations online start can start out casual or jokey but um but then they they get serious when a lot of people band together on it so in the case of let's say of gamestop itself i mean was this I'm not familiar with the origins of what you know what the WBS is was it specifically targeting the shorts on that stock? I mean they were going after the hedge funds they knew shorted. I mean is that how uh, so the WSB, Genesis, Wall Street or WSB, was, yeah. Okay. Right. Um wait, what was the question? I'm sorry. Well, did, were they specifically the guy, I forget the guy's name who started it, but um was he specifically targeting these hedge funds? That, uh, that were in big short positions on on GameStop. Yeah, I think that it was. Um, I, I think at first he was he was actually, and this has happened, you know, many times in the past. Um, he was sort of uh, just into the GameStop stock. Mm-hmm. He thought it was undervalued, and it was sort of a casual thing. And you know, he kept posting about it, um, and uh, and and got more people interested. I think others helped him kind of put together the the analysis of like that that folks were shorting it. I don't think it was at first very intentional um to be a takedown of a specific hedge fund at all. Um but but with with others and with enough kind of rallying and with enough posting about it, it it became a huge phenomenon that we've seen, right? Um and now there's a well, piece and today in the Times, a piece today in the Wall Street Journal about this guy Keith Gill, uh, you know, at his basement workstation and right. <laughs> and uh, making his roaring kitty videos uh, and making millions and millions of dollars from stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's that's what I was wondering. Is yeah, you know, so there there's certainly this this uh, theme as you you know read posts and so on about this that is sort of 
you know, generational, intergenerational struggle. Hey, yeah, millennials, Gen Zs, we're going after the the boomers. I've seen yeah. that many, many times. Um, and I'm sure there's lots of opportunism in there as well, because as you said, lots of people have made a lot of money on it. Um, but but it's interesting. It is it is. And someone's like, it's, yeah, they're attacking the status quo. Yeah, yeah. And I think what they maybe don't realize is that they are also, by bringing this thing to the front page of newspapers, they are kind of opening up the world to uh, this information to more people, right? They're saying like, hey, yeah, you know, you know in your heart of hearts that Tesla is overvalued. You know that this stock market is a hype machine the same way, you know, our social media is. It's just one that that generally is driven by people with more money and more power. Um, and I, I can't help but when I read about, about this all, I can't help but think of, um, I forget whose quote this was. It's an old one, but, you know, all trading is insider trading. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> It just makes me think of that because, you know, if you're making any trade, you you think you have some information, even if you don't, right? And um, and and these guys, this, you know, diverse crew of, of Redditors and others online following along, putting in little bits of money has had such an impact. And uh, and, and now I think we're going to see a huge fallout from that uh, going forward, whether it's, you know, forcing Congress to investigate or um, forcing some legal action against against GameStop and or not GameStop, excuse me, GameStop has nothing, no legal action, but um, against, you know, the um, investment funds uh, that are, are working on it and including Robinhood, um, which is now the target of so much ire um, as because as they stop trading yes exactly which exactly which was in essence you know if you consider this as a what was happening in the gamestop movement of the gamestop and amc stocks as sort of a, a political statement to some degree um they basically deplatformed them the investors yeah 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 um and and you know and now you've got redditors threatening legal action and uh just so upset and meanwhile the ire also on reddit is is against the mainstream media for underestimating them which i think is really fun cuz you dig if you dig into the wall street bets subreddit you see these these guys are like oh no you just wait i actually have you know my secure my nice good 401k portfolio and then mm-hmm. i have my fun money they don't they they're not you know they don't want to be they, they're they're not um, sure they're not they don't have their own hedge funds but they're not unsavvy investors right um, and and I think that that's one of the kind of common myths right now too. Yeah, well, I was reading something last night. I think it was in the Wall Street Journal about even this notion of investigating uh, you know all the redditors that were investing in because apparently some regulation about uh, collusion to drive up stock prices to manipulate stock prices. Oh, sure. <laughs> the hedge, hedge funders were, you know, hey, this is our game, right? We get to collude yeah, on those things. You guys yeah, can't yeah, yeah. on that. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Who gets to collude? <laughs> yeah. Those inside the fence get to collude. Those on the outside don't. Yeah, it's, it's, I suspect we'll see more of this. And I think it's, I do too. Yeah. And, it's, and I, I think it's good. Oh, sure. I mean, and the, the it just shows the power of these communities, right? And we saw it politically. Um, I wrote about this in my book, um, the, in the, you know, the lead up to, to Donald Trump's election. Um, his subreddit was just so popular and such a force um, on Reddit uh, that it it kind of broke the site for t- at times. It, it gamed like the entire system. The, the Redditors 
working on the the subreddit called The Donald, um, found so many ways to use their strength in numbers um, to kind of spread posts virally and to gain subscribers to their own section. I mean, it was it was wild, and that was the same kind of behavior as we've seen with this with GameStop. Which yeah, also then brings to mind the the um, all the BTS stands and the TikTok. Uh, yeah, <laughs> manipulation they did over I don't know if it's a campaign that they did over the the summer, um, like for Trump rallies and so on. Yeah, right, right, absolutely. Um, and and we'll see, we'll see this power wielded on other social platforms as well. Um, don't underestimate kind of the power of the smaller platforms and the more niche communities. I would say going forward, it's it's not just. TikTok and Reddit, like there's, there's communities elsewhere. Um, I mean, like think of like minor networks, like things like Spotify or, um, uh, even like whatever running app you use that has a community on it. Right. Like there, mm-hmm. there's, it, so th- these communities are, are really powerful, even when they're, even when they're smaller, um, when people join together, it's, it can create change. And whether that's in activism, in business or in, you know, um, in stock trading. Yeah. Strava as a force for change. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, I, it could happen. I really think so. Well, I think it's a, it's really interesting to think about it. I know we've gotten way off the track, but it's, it's, it's fascinating to think about it that way because if there's anything that sort of, I think was a, maybe a result of, of just certain, not the last four years, but it's been a, a trend since the eighties and you saw Tom Friedman write about it in the New York times this week about, and Scott Galloway's written about it, about, you know, socialism for the rich and capitalism for the rest of us. And where people are feeling disenfranchised, you know, not just the vote, but in many respects in terms of participation in the upside of the economy mm-hmm. is, yeah, you can see how do people organize if, if they feel like conventional sort of political channels are closed to them. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think this year is going to, um, you know, as we come to to summer and if, um, I mean, Main Streets have just been hurting so badly this year and the smaller businesses have just, it's been, it's been just really, it's been rough to report on, honestly, because it's, it's been so kind of wide, so much widespread pain in business yeah. that I think we've got a lot to, we've got a lot to look forward to if some of the businesses can just make it a few more months, really. And, um, and, and I think we'll, we'll see after that. I mean, I, I do I hope that some of the spirit of sort of community and and banning together does continue. Um, and I think you know we may see it go to wackier places. Um, I yeah. you know sure. just my only my perspective on Reddit is that like honestly historically there's always something crazy that happens on it when when people are bored like when school is out for the summer something weird will happen or during Thanksgiving break that's when stuff will happen when it's like <laughs> high schoolers are bored and I think right. we're at this point in the pandemic where like there's this like deep boredom yes and pent up and it's cold out in so many parts of the country and people are stuck inside and they're just doing stuff right and so you know we may see another couple really wild things happen online in the next few months yeah and that and that's fine right i mean I, sure <laughs> I, I mean i think that i think that yeah the argument becomes is just yeah you want to encourage that at what point is too much too much right and <laughs> at what point that, going back? That, yeah, hopefully that lesson is is one that we're learning from. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, going back to what we where we started this discussion, at what point do we like, is this too disruptive of our of the existing systems and starts to shake the democracy again? Yeah, well, I mean, it was, uh, at least from my perspective, it was kind of scary the last few months. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, um, yeah. I mean, there's, uh, maybe we're... <laughs> awful lot to be thankful for that that certain people weren't more competent if they had been could have been really bad mm-hmm. so well christine it's been great to have you here um you've written a book on reddit if people want to find out about that where can they do that oh well they can go to christine uh, my book is called we are the nerds um it is about huh. the tumultuous life of reddit uh it's a story of two founders and their their lives and how they built one of the most popular uh websites in the world yeah, and and I'm a I'm a reporter at Inc. Magazine yes. by by day. These days, I write about small business entrepreneurship, a little bit of sales and marketing um, every now and then. Certainly about uh, trends online, and you can find my work at Inc.com, Inc.com. Good. Well, thank you very much. Sure. Thank you so much. Nice being here, and um, and this show is just so great. I'm just happy to be here. Okay. Thank you. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank Christine Legorio-Chafkin for sharing her insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or a review and let us know how we're doing, well, we'd certainly appreciate that. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.